All right, guys. Well, good evening. Can I have you all turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Revelation, chapter 12? Now, for the sake of the new folks and those watching online that haven't been following through with us uh, every week, we are currently working our way through the book of Revelation, as we said, uh, but we are currently in a parenthetical section of the book, which runs from chapters 10 through 14. As we have said, chapters 12 and 13 don't advance the narrative chronologically, but recap and amplify what has already taken place and uh, give us some extra details that we don't get or we didn't get from the previous chapters. Chronologically, we have already entered into the second half of the 70th week of Daniel. We did that in chapter 9, where the Antichrist has already set up his image in the Holy of Holies, and uh, now things are ramping up in the way of judgments. But again, chapter 12, it takes us back, first of all, to Jesus' birth, and then fast-forwards us to the midpoint of the tribulation period. So let's just jump in. Verse 1, Now a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of twelve stars. As we saw last week, the woman here in Revelation 12 symbolizes Israel. And somebody sent me a video of a gentleman, and he was wearing a whole clerical garb. And uh, God bless him, he was teaching out of Revelation. But he had chapter 12 all wrong. Uh, it was Mary, and then he brought in other things. And I'm, we just got done talking about this. This woman is not Mary. She's not, definitely not Mary Baker Eddy. Uh, founder of Christian Science, we talked about that. Catholic Church says she, she's Mary, the, mo uh, the mother of Jesus, but Mary never fled into the wilderness where she was protected by God, verse 6, as this woman does. Uh, the Protestant, mainline Protestant churches believe that this woman is the church. Uh, but if it is, she, she's in big trouble because she's pregnant, and the church is always called the Virgin Bride of Christ. No, this woman is Israel. How do we know that for sure? Because we went back and looked at Genesis 37, uh, in particular verses 9 through 11, and we saw that this is obviously a reference to Israel. Israel. And we see her symbolically here giving birth to the Messiah. Verse 2, Then being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a, a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his head. As we said last time, a diadem was the crown of a king. Verse 4, his tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. And again, we're reviewing a little bit from last week, but when uh, John says... Uh, his tail, this was the dragon, uh, his tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. The stars are a reference here to angels, right? And uh, you see that in different places in the Old Testament where angels are called stars. Uh, I'll give you two examples, Job 38, verse 7, and then uh, in Revelation 9, verse 1, we looked at those last time, but... Um, I believe these stars are not literal stars, they are angels. When we talk about how that one-third of the angels in heaven followed Lucifer in his rebellion against God, we get it from this passage. It's where we get it from. These became fallen angels, Lucifer being chief among them. 
right? Uh, Jesus mentioned his fall in Luke chapter 10, verse 18. I'll just read it to you. And uh, Jesus said to them, to his disciples, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. The question is, when did Lucifer fall? Now, we know it was sometime before Genesis chapter 3, because by that time, he takes the form of a serpent to deceive Eve. So sometime before Genesis 3, he fell. You say, what difference does it make? You know, as a teacher, these things interest me. All right? Hopefully, they interest you. Um, When did he fall? Well, there are those who say it happened sometime after Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, but before Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. This is a somewhat controversial interpretation known as the gap theory. The gap theory. Let me read those verses. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Verse 2. The earth was without form and void. Sometimes my messages come across Genesis 1, verse 2. But that's a different subject. Um, The phrase, guys, without form and void in Hebrew is tohu vabohu. Kind of fun to pronounce, right? Tohu vabohu. Tohu vabohu is a term in the Hebrew that almost always denotes judgment having taken place. There are Hebrew scholars who say the Hebrew uh, translated and the earth was without form and void, could be translated, and the earth became a desolate wasteland. They point out the Hebrew word for became is an active verb that denotes a change. Same word was used of Lot's wife where she became a pillar of salt. Something has happened. Uh, A judgment has taken place. Lot's wife was judged. Because after having escaped from Sodom, she looked back, right? And so God judged her. This is intriguing. If these Hebrew scholars are correct in the way that they believe this Genesis chapter 1 verse 2 could be translated, it's intriguing because that translation would contradict, uh, this is one passage, it might contradict others, but for sure it would contradict Isaiah 45 verse 18. Why don't you turn there? I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but let's just get a flavor of this so you have a working knowledge of what some believe is going on here. In Isaiah 45, verse 18, we read, For thus says the Lord, who created the heavens, who is God, who formed the earth and made it, who established it, who did not create it in vain. What? He didn't create the earth in vain. Who formed it, to be inhabited. I am the Lord and there is no other. The word vain in Isaiah 45 verse 18 is the Hebrew word tohu, which is the same Hebrew word used in Genesis chapter 1 verse 2 for void. And so proponents of the gap theory claim that God is saying in Isaiah 45 verse 18 that he didn't create the world in vain. In other words, ruined and desolate. He created it fully formed and functional and ready to be inhabited. Again, he didn't make it tohu vavohu. But again, if Isaiah says God did not create the earth originally without form and void, 
But Genesis chapter 1 says the earth was or actually became without form and void. What's going on? Is the, is the scriptures contradicting themselves? Of course not. The Bible doesn't, never contradicts itself because it's the word of God. God's perfect, right? But what, what caused the world, if this interpretation is correct, what caused the world to become a desolate wasteland? Well, again, there are scholars and commentators that believe it was an event that took place between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2, an event that we read about last week. You can read about it again on your own. We read about it in Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28. It was an event where the most powerful cherub in all of God's creation, an angel, cherub is the highest form of an angel, uh, but uh, a, uh, an angel named Lucifer who launched a rebellion against God. And some believe that the earth could have originally been the domain of Lucifer. And it became the focal point in a cosmic war where God is allowing Satan to do battle with him. And listen. If the earth was his dominion in the first creation, what's the first creation? Well, that would be Genesis 1, verse 1, okay? That God judged that creation and told the devil, go ahead and recreate it to prove how much like the Most High you really are. Remember Isaiah 14, verse 14, the five I wills of Satan and his rebellion? He said, I want to be like the Most High. If this interpretation is correct, I'm not saying I believe in the gap theory. I think it's interesting. I'm not trying to sell it to you. I, I think it's interesting. Uh, there's a lot of good scholars that are on board with it. Uh, others like myself, you know, I, I don't know. Uh, it's interesting, okay? But if this interpretation is correct, then Genesis 1-1, we have what scholars have called the original creation. And then after the original creation, where God didn't make the world tohu vavohu, he made it fully formed, ready to be inhabited, right? Then Satan leads a rebellion against God in heaven. And if this was his, his earth was his area of domain, right? And he wanted to be the most high. That was the rebellion. I, wanna, I don't want to be number two under God. I want to be the most high. And so God, in an act of judgment, uh, caused the earth to become a desolate wasteland. He made it tohu vavohu, a, a term of judgment. And then told the devil, okay, you want to be like the Most High? Go ahead and recreate it. And the devil, with all of his power, couldn't recreate the world, transforming it from a desolate wasteland into something beautiful and inhabitable. And uh, after who knows how long, how long did God give the devil time to, you know, recreate it? You want to be like the Most High? Go ahead. Have at it. We don't know how long God patiently waited, probably with his arms folded, tapping his feet or his foot, right? But after who knows how long, God stepped in and said, let there be light and recreated the earth, which could be what Genesis 1-2 is all about. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, verse, starting with verse 3. Uh, one last thing about the gap theory and we'll move on. Many gap theory proponents claim that in this gap between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2 is where all the dinosaurs and fossils came from. But even if the gap theory is true, and it might be, I don't know, 
It can't be used to explain the extinction of dinosaurs in the fossil record. Why? Because the Bible says very clearly, very plainly, that death came into the world through Adam's sin. Romans 5, verse 12. Until Adam sinned, there was no death. And of course, since fossils are the result of death, they could not have happened until Adam's time. All right, just to throw that out. Revelation 12, verse 4. So again, his tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. Now, guys, there is at least 4,000 years between the first and second sentences of verse 4 and probably a lot longer than that. Between the time Satan led a rebellion in heaven that drew a third of the angels to himself and they all fell to the time that um, Jesus Christ was born is at least 4,000 years. So 4,000 years between the first and second sentences of verse 4. This child is the Messiah, Jesus Christ. We know that for sure from verse 5. She bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. Now we can look at dozens of scriptures along these lines. I'll give you two. Psalm chapter 2, verses 8, uh, 8 and 9, where God said to the Son, the Father said to the Son, Ask of me, and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. And then, of course, that is going to be literally fulfilled as when we get to Genesis 19, verse 15. As Jesus returns to the earth now, John sees this, and it, John says, Now out of his mouth, out of Jesus' mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. So this male child who... Uh, is, is to rule the nations is obviously Jesus Christ. Uh, at the end of verse 4, we read again, And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. Now, guys, I believe in the narrow sense. This is a reference to Herod the Great trying to kill the baby Jesus. Remember when the wise men came to him? And said, you know, um, where is he who was born king of the Jews? We have seen his star in the east and we have come to worship him. Now to say that Herod was unnerved by that would be a very great understatement. Herod the Great, little guy about five foot tall, was uh, extremely paranoid. And he believed that people were always trying to take his throne. Uh, he thought one of his wives, I think her name was Miriam, was going to steal, overthrow him, had her killed. Uh, he had three of his sons killed because he thought they were plotting against him. In fact, it got so bad after the third son was killed, the saying got started, uh, it's safer to be one of Herod's pigs than one of his sons. He was just crazy. And so when these wise men came and said, where is he who was born king of the Jews? You have to understand, Herod wasn't even Jewish. He was Idumean. He was a descendant of Esau, Jacob's twin brother, right? But Rome liked him. So Rome put him in power. It was a slap in the face of the Jewish people because now he had the title king of the Jews. He wasn't even Jewish. So he was very paranoid and insecure. And so uh, he, as soon as he heard this, he freaked out basically, but kept his composure and said to the wise men, look, 
and they and they ask uh, some of the scholars, well, where is Messiah, according to the prophets, going to be born? And they rightly determined Bethlehem, okay? So Herod said to the wise men, well, when you go and find the child, uh, come back and tell me so I can go and worship him also. Now, a little side note that I forgot to bring in. When the wise men said, where is he who was born king of the Jews? We have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. Well, the star signaled the birth of Christ, okay? Uh, the idea was, though, they were 700 miles away. Uh, they had to make a very difficult journey, which was going to take several months. They had to plan for it, and I don't believe it was just three wise men. Uh, that's what tradition says, right? But the caravan was so large that when they came into Jerusalem, the whole town was shaken. I mean, it was a, it was a lot of commotion. This was a big entourage, all right? Uh, my point is that many scholars believe the wise men didn't get to Jerusalem for about maybe 18 months after Jesus was born. So, you know, our nativity sets around Christmas time. Uh, you know, uh, they have the, 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 the uh, shepherds there. Well, they were there uh, at the birth of Christ. The angel uh, announced his birth and said, come and see. And so they were at the stable. The wise men didn't come until about a year and a half later. By this time, we read in Matthew, I think, 2, verse 11, they were living in a house, in a house. So obviously the stable was long gone, right? Um, so the wise men went, and the Lord says, don't go back to Herod. So they went back home after they had seen the Christ child, presented their gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They went back to, uh, uh, to uh, the, where they had come from in Persia uh, without telling Herod anything. Well, after a while, Herod realized they weren't coming back. And so he dispatched his soldiers to, Bethle soldiers to Bethlehem with the orders to kill all the male Jewish boys two years old and under. Remember, it says he inquired of the wise men, well, when did they see the star? So he told them. But just to make sure, because it was about 18 months, just to make sure, Herod said to the soldiers, kill all the baby boys in, in Bethlehem, two years old and under. No, nobody will slip by us, this, this Messiah, right? That's, that's what most people think is the uh, interpretation here. Um, the dra dragon stood before the woman ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. Um, the devil working through Herod, yes, no doubt about that. But I, I believe that there's a much broader application that's in view here than simply what Herod tried to do. In fact, as we understand this broader application or interpretation, chapter 12 sheds a whole new light on anti-Semitism. Listen, if the promise of God's redemption that he gave in Genesis 3.15 depended on the birth of a redeemer, which of course it did, all right, a redeemer who would be born from a particular family belonging to a specific nation. Look, in other words, if, the, if God's plan for the redemption of the world was conditioned upon the existence and perpetuation of a nation, if Satan could destroy that nation, he could defeat the plan of God in sending a redeemer, a messiah, to die on our behalf, thus making re the redemption of the human race impossible. When you, when you understand that the Bible takes on a whole new light, all right, 
a lot of Christians read the Bible and they often jump around. They don't really read it from cover to cover. And, and that's fine to some degree. You really should read your Bible because it's, it's one unfolding story, all right? But a lot of Christians tend to read Scripture as kind of disjointed principles and, and, and so on, right? And um, they, they don't tend often to see the big picture. The theme of the Bible, very simply, is the redemption of mankind. The redemption of mankind. All right, uh, which, by the way, um, is the greatest work that God ever undertook. Well, greater than the creation. You know, scientists tell us that the universe is it, it changes, but roughly 18 billion light years across. A light year is the distance that light travels in a year, about six trillion miles. Light travels at a rate of 186,000 miles per second. That's that's moving. Okay. You could jump on a beam of light, you can circle the earth seven and a half times in one second, right? So you can imagine uh, the distance of the universe, diameter, right? Um, and yet only 31 verses in the book of Genesis are devoted to the creation of the universe. As you, as you look in the Psalms, the writer of, this, of this, one of the Psalms says, uh, the creation was the work of God's fingers. It was finger work to him. It's nothing for God to speak the word. Uh, in the beginning, God created. The Hebrew word is bara. It means to bring into existence something out of nothing. We don't have the ability to, we can be creative, but we, but we really are assembling existing materials, right? But when God creates, he creates out of nothing. That's why Lucifer couldn't recreate the world. As powerful a being as he is, he cannot create out of nothing. Only God has that ability, right? So God spoke the universe into existence. No big deal for God. He didn't even break a sweat, if I can put it that way. Um, so you got the first chapter, basically, uh, or the first couple chapters of the, of the Bible that talk about the creation. The rest of the Bible talks about redemption. You know, the psalmist said that we cannot redeem another person our brother because the redemption of his soul is costly it, it cost it, it goes beyond our ability to pay the price so god created the universe that's finger work the bible says when he when he set about to redeem mankind he rolled up his sleeves the way it's put is he bared his arms because that's where the real work came in because God couldn't just speak sin away. It had to be paid for. And so God instituted this very elaborate plan of salvation, which, by the way, didn't happen after Genesis 3. As God reacted, oh, boy, boy, they blew it. What am I going to do now? Okay, here's what we'll do. What is it? Revelation 13, 8. Jesus was a lamb slain from before the foundation of the world. God had it all planned out. Even before he created us, he knew we were going to blow it. He already had the plan of salvation in mind. So just so you understand that um, God had this plan, okay? And uh, it really revolved around God starting a whole new nation, uh, starting with a man, right? Abraham. 
Uh, do you realize that Abraham at one point was an idol-worshipping Gentile who lived in the era of the Chaldees? An idol-worshipping Gentile. And when God said to him, I want you to separate yourself from your family, your land, cross the Euphrates River, and go to a land I will show you. He didn't tell him where it was, just start walking. Many believe that when he crossed the Euphrates, which symbolized he was separating himself from basically the world to start a journey with God. When he crossed over the Euphrates, he became a Hebrew. Some believe the word Hebrew means one who crosses over, okay? Now Abraham is a Hebrew. And God eventually tells him that he is going to make a covenant with him, which he did, the Abrahamic covenant. And um, part of the covenant was that through his loins, through his, his body, uh, Messiah would be born. And, and of course, then, you know, uh, God kept revealing more and more. Get a little ahead of myself, but uh, after Abraham, God said uh, it was not through Isaac, but through, uh, through um, I'm sorry, not, not through uh, Isaac, but through, um, no, I'm sorry, Ishmael, not through Ishmael. <laughs> Uh, Ishmael was not the son of promise. Isaac was. And then, of course, Isaac, you know, he had twin boys, Esau and Jacob. But God said through Jacob, Messiah would come. And then Jacob had 12 sons. And God says it was through Judah, the fourth son, Messiah would come. And then later on through David, right? So as God began to be more specific about his plan of redemption, how it started with a man, but then became, uh, you know, a, a, a nation, but then in that nation, a tribe, Judah, and a family, David. And a, you know, as God began to give more specifics about who this, this Redeemer, where he would come from, Satan narrowed his attack. Now, be, be, I got ahead of myself. Before God got real specific as the years went on, right? Um, the idea is that uh, right in the beginning, after God made this promise, let me just say this, anti-Semitism is a demonic thing. That goes all the way, we're talking about spiritual warfare, right? You read the Bible and you, you know, it, it, it's history and all, but really guys, it's all about the greatest conflict in the entire universe. The conflict between God and Satan for the souls of mankind. And anti-Semitism, but it, it the devil wanted to destroy this nation because through the na this nation, Messiah would come. So anti-Semitism is a demonic thing that goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Again, Genesis 3.15, where God said, I will put enmity between you and the woman, talking to the serpent, and between your seed, what will be Satan's seed, Antichrist, and her seed, Jesus Christ. He shall bruise your head, you shall bruise his heel. Let me just say this as a little side note. This is the first glimpse of the virgin birth. The first glimpse of the virgin birth. Since the woman doesn't have the seed, the man does. So rabbis have always believed that this implies uh, a virgin birth. Isaiah 7, 14. Uh, God talked about uh, bringing, uh, you know, a, a redeemer, uh, a virgin born. Redeemer, right? And of course, then in Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, Matthew quotes that. And there's some argument with regard to the, to the uh, Isaiah 7, 14 passage, uh, whether or not the word for virgin is really the word for virgin. 
They say, well, it could mean a young maiden of marrying age. It doesn't have to be a virgin, right? But then Matthew quotes it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and puts everything to rest. He quotes Isaiah 7.14, uses the Greek word parthenos, which always means a virgin. A virgin shall conceive and bear a son, shall call his name Emmanuel, that kind of thing, right? But this theologians and Christians of all ages have nicknamed Genesis 3.15 what they called the Proto-Evangelium, the Proto-Evangelium, which literally means the first announcement of the gospel, right here in Genesis 3.15, okay? But God is promising that someday he would send a Savior who would crush the serpent's head, in other words, destroy his authority and judge him. Now, Satan is there in the form of a serpent. He's a serpent. He's, here's what God's saying. And Satan is thinking to himself, Ain't nobody going to crush my head. And to crush the, the serpent's head meant to destroy his authority and judge him, right? And Satan didn't like that idea of having his head crushed by anyone. So he decided to launch a preemptive attack against the purposes of God to try and keep Messiah from ever being born. And this is what, you know, and again, I mean, this is before the plan of God became more specific and, and more revealed, okay? But when God, uh, when um, God first promised this, that a Messiah, he would send a redeemer. The devil believed it was Abel. And so he moved in the heart of Cain through Cain's own jealousy and pride to kill Abel because Satan was convinced, here's the guy. But it wasn't through Abel. Who was it through? Seth. Okay, Seth would be the messianic line. You remember as we studied Genesis 6, how that at one point uh, we read this incredible passage, and I'm going to tell you what I believe it says, okay, but where... Um, the sons of God, a reference always to, to angels. Now, in this context, fallen angels saw the daughters of men were fair, and they took to themselves uh, wives of all that they desired, and the um, offspring of this, uh, of this well, fallen angel, uh, human women offspring was a, a demonic hybrid, all right, called Nephilims. Uh, so, but what was the idea? The devil wanted to contaminate the human race with demon seeds so Messiah couldn't be born. Messiah can't be born from a demonic heritage, all right? Uh, and it says that uh, Noah and his family were pure in their genealogies. In other words, they might have been the only family left on the face of the earth that had not been, their, their lineage had not been corrupted with demon seed. So God spared them, put them in the ark, and destroyed the whole world starting over again, all right? But that was a, the devil's attempt to, again, destroy the plan of God and bringing a Messiah. Later on, we see how Esau attempted to kill Jacob. Jacob was of, of the Messianic line. Then remember Pharaoh, how he, how he um, when, the, when the Jews, this is a Pharaoh that uh, came after Joseph's, the Pharaoh Joseph knew, who loved Joseph, right? This was much later. And the Jews were living in Egypt, and they were prospering and multiplying, and Pharaoh got a little bit concerned. He was concerned that they were going to take over. So he commanded the Hebrew, the, um, uh, the midwives, Egyptian midwives, that when they delivered the, he the Hebrew children, any boy babies, they would throw in the Nile River and drown. But they feared God, and they didn't do that. They hid the boy babies, right? And so they thwarted the plan of the devil working through a pharaoh to destroy what would have been the lineage that Messiah would eventually come from. And you remember how King Saul tried to kill David. You know, we, we see, he said, well, Saul was just paranoid. Saul was a, yeah. But the devil was using whatever was inside of Saul 
to get his purposes done, which was to kill the, the Messianic line so Messiah couldn't be born, right? You remember then later on in Second Chronicles 22, how that at one point, uh, King uh, Amaziah was killed. Now, he was of the royal line. And his mother, Queen Athaliah, rose up, and she was a power-hungry woman, and so she immediately had put to, she immediately had all of her boy grandsons put to death. And she assumed the throne. But one of Amaziah's sisters took one child that the queen didn't know about, a little guy named Joash, hid him, and uh, was raised in secret. And at one point, they brought him out to become the next king. So there was only one man, one man left of the royal line at that point. The devil got pretty close into satisfying or carrying out his, you know, his objectives. Remember Haman, how he plotted against the Jews and got uh, the king of Persia, Ashwaris, to sign a hasty decree, right? That on a certain day, all the Jews in Persia would be killed. He even had a giant gallows built that they were going to be hung on, right? And you remember this book of Esther and the story, how that that God turned the tables and Haman wound up on his own gallows and the Jews were spared, right? And then, of course, we have, you know, Herod the Great who ordered the uh, all the Jewish boys in Bethlehem killed who were two years old and under. So the devil throughout history has done his best to destroy the Jews. That's why I say anti-Semitism is a demonic thing. What has this people done that they're hated like they're hated? I mean, Israel's, the nation of Israel is the size of New Jersey. Um, I don't know how many, I think 15 million Jews live there. Surrounded by 80 million Muslims. They shouldn't even be alive. They should not even be alive. It's, it's, it's God protecting them, right? But the devil thought history has tried to destroy the messianic line so Messiah could not have been born. Um, as the Lord made his plan of redemption more and more specific, as we just said earlier, you know, concerning the Messiah's birth, what nation, what tribe, what family, Satan was able to focus his attack more and more. Now, at one point, at this point, you might be thinking, okay, but Jesus has come. He did die and rise from the dead. So why is Satan continuing to persecute the Jewish people? Because the devil hates the Jews, because they were the instrument through which Messiah came, the one who was going to eventually crush his head, and the devil holds grudges, okay? The devil hates the Jewish people, and out of revenge wants to destroy them. And he wants to destroy them in part to get back at God who loves the Jewish people. Turn to Genesis chapter 12 quickly. Here's where God made a covenant with Abraham. This is part of it. At this point he's called Abram. But Genesis 12 verse 3. He said to Abram, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. How? Because through Abraham would come the Messiah. He wouldn't just be a Jewish Messiah. He wouldn't be the savior of the nation of Israel. He'd be a savior to all mankind. So through one man, 
blessing came to the entire earth because Abraham became the, um, the one through whom Messiah was born. Um, is do you study history, guys? And I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but I just need to bring this up. It is true, as you study history, that any person, or I'm thinking in particular any nation, that has persecuted the Jewish people has been cursed by God. Has been cursed by God. We see in Scripture how that Egypt enslaved the Jewish people. And God judged them, and they went from the superpower of the world at that time, um, of the whole world, whole known world, to a third world country because of the way they treated the Jewish people. Later on, the, the same thing happened with Assyria and Babylon. Both were world empires, but they oppressed the Jewish people, and God reduced both of those nations, both of those empires, or I should say the nations of Assyria and Babylon, to, to uh, third world countries. More recently, and in, 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 in all, uh, Great Britain was at one time the world superpower around the beginning of the 20th century. In fact, they had so many nations around the world that they had conquered and controlled the motto, uh, that a motto was born that the sun never sets on the British Empire. Because anywhere in the world the sun was shining, they, Britain had you know, land and things that they had conquered. Okay, All of that began to change with the Balfour Declaration in November of 1917. You see, the Balfour Declaration said that the British government endorsed the establishment of a homeland in Palestine for the Jewish people. Now, they had been wandering for 1,900 years. Remember, ever since you know they were driven out of their land by the Romans uh, back in the 2nd century A.D., uh, they wandered, right? Pretty much 70 A.D., but then... Uh, 135 uh, um, uh, A.D., I should say, th th it really happened where they were just driven out of their land. And so they wandered. They didn't have a homeland for all those years, right? And so the British government decided, well, you know, we would like to see a homeland created for the Jewish people. They're in Palestine, which is where they have come from, okay? Israel, all right? I don't call it Palestine. I hate it when Bible scholars and, and all... Talk about Palestine. Pal don't call it Palestine. It's Israel. Okay? The Romans renamed it Syria-Palestina after the Philistines uh, as a way to stick a finger in the Jewish people's eyes. It's Israel. But the British government said, look, we really want, we think the, the time has come to establish a homeland for the Jewish people. And the Jews, Jewish people were very excited at the prospect of having a nation again in their ancient homeland. They were extremely excited. However, and we don't know all the politics behind it. I'm sure there are historians who could tell you what was going on. But just to make it simple, the British government dragged their feet. They made this dec Balfour Declaration. They, they, they made this declaration. So Israel's like, the Jews were like, well, when's it going to happen? The, uh, the British government dragged their feet. Uh, and in May of 1939, the British government altered its policy in a, in a white paper recommending a limit of 75,000 Jews total. So we're only going to allow 75,000 more um, of, of immigrants, uh, and we're going to end all immigration completely by 1944 unless, <laughs> it's a joke, unless the resident Palestinian Arabs living in the land uh, consent to further Jewish immigration. Well, that was never going to happen. 
So we'll only allow 75,000 more, which is a drop in the bucket, uh, unless you're Arab, all the Arabs in the land of Palestine agree to more Jews coming and living among them. Well, that wasn't going to happen. Um, and so uh, Zionists condemned the, condemned the new policy, accusing Britain of favoring the Arabs. And after that, guys, after Great Britain uh, did not come through in their promise to the Jewish people, the British Empire began to decline. And uh, Britain went from a superpower status to a relatively insignificant country. We see the same thing with Germany and its defeat in World War II and how it was a world power but began to decline sharply because of the way it treated the Jewish people. Furthermore, God said, I'll curse those that curse you and bless those who bless you. And I personally believe that America's ascendancy to the role of super status power, the superpower in the world, after World War II, um, greatest nation on the face of the earth, we, we rose to after World War II, what happened? Well, as soon as Israel declared itself a nation, once again, May 14, 1948, President Harry Truman immediately said, we support the Jewish people, and we are here to help them in any way we can. All of a sudden now, God's hand was upon America, and he was blessing us because we were blessing the Jewish people. You know, for many years, we were Israel's greatest ally. And God continued to bless us uh, as a direct fulfillment of the promise he gave to Abraham 4,000 years ago. Again, that he would bless those who bless the Jewish people and curse those who curse the Jewish people. Of course, our support for Israel has declined over the last 35 years. Now, under President Trump, it was revived. Um, and if he would have remained in office, who knows what God would have done in America because we were continuing to bless the Jewish people. Uh, but now you have uh, Joe Biden in power, and the uh, Democrats are not really friendly to Israel. Uh, they support the Palestinians more and so on. And so, um, but even over those 35 years, our presidents, both Republican and Democrat, in, in an effort to make peace in the Middle East, put Israel in very um, difficult positions. They made them give up concessions to the Palestinians that actually hurt Israel, uh, put them in very dangerous place, right? Uh, their national sovereignty was on the line. And yet, our presence in the name of peace in the Middle East, and, and here's the thing, okay? Um, what leaders fail to realize is that and I think it was the Oslo Accords where President Clinton pretty much gave Yasser Arafat, the leader of the Palestinian organization, pretty much everything he asked for. Now, Arafat didn't think that was going to happen, but Clinton pretty much gave him everything he asked for, and he refused it. Because it's not about how much land Israel gets. It's Israel's existence. Israel's enemies don't want to live peacefully with Israel, with the Jewish people. They want them gone, um, and, and so on, because there's a lot of things that um, in Islam um, that they're, they're working from that 
uh, talk about not letting the infidels live in your land and so on. So, you know, you can dig that out on your own. But, uh, all right, back to Revelation, okay? Uh, verse 5, chapter 12, verse 5. So, she, again, um, symbolically speaking of Israel, bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up to God and his throne. Most see in that, and I agree with this, most see in this uh, as a reference to the ascension of Jesus 40 days after his resurrection, where he ascended back to the Father and sat down uh, at the Father's right hand on his throne. And I'll give you two scriptures. Uh, you can just write these down. Acts 1, verses 9 through 11. Now, when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and uh, a cloud received him out of their sight. So he went as far as Bethany, and his disciples were with him. And from the mount, of, of, from Bethany, he ascended up into the clouds, back to his father. And verse ten, and while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood. Two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, "Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven?" This same Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. So this child, Revelation 12, 5, 5 was caught up to God. We see Jesus ascending back to his father, Hebrews 12, 2, where the author admonishes us looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Listen, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So this is obviously speaking of Christ, verse 5, verse 6. Then the woman fled into the wilderness, where she has a place prepared by God that they should feed her there 1,260 days. Now, guys, there is a time gap of 2,000 years between verses 5 and 6 of chapter 12. Between the ascension of Christ back to heaven after his resurrection and then the Jews fleeing uh, and then the fleeing of the Jews in Jerusalem into the wilderness after the Antichrist sets up his image in the Holy of Holies, there is roughly 2,000 year gap between those two events. We talked about how that in prophecy often slammed up back to back. You could have in one verse even um, an event that is separated by a thousand or 2,000 years. So you have to read the passage carefully, okay? But Jesus in Matthew 24, verses 15 and 16 said, Therefore when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of, spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. And Jesus is saying that when you see the Antichrist set up his image, in the Holy of Holies, in the rebuilt temple in Jerusalem. Don't even go back into your houses to get close. Run into the wilderness, to the mountains, to take refuge. Because at that time, verse 21, there is going to be a wave of persecution unleashed. Great tribulation, such as the world has never seen up until that time, nor will ever see again. This is where the great tribulation will begin uh, the Antichrist setting up his image in the Holy of Holies is the exact midpoint of the 70th week of Daniel. And chapter uh, Revelation 12, verse 6, tells us that from that event, Antichrist setting up his image until Jesus returned 1260 days. And, um, and again, 
this second half of the 70th week of Daniel, what we tend to call the Great Tribulation period, is going to be a time of unparalleled hostility, persecution, and suffering that will break loose against the Jewish people, perpetrated by the Antichrist and his followers, which is why Jesus told them in Matthew 24, verse 15, when you see this happen, flee to the mountains. Uh, don't go back to get anything out of your house. Now, the question is, yes, but what mountain? Where in the wilderness do they flee to? Well, guys, we don't even have to guess. The Bible tells us. Let's try to get this in. Turn to Daniel 11. And we'll do this quickly, and then we'll close, because I, I want to get this in um, before we end our study today. So Jesus said, flee. When the Antichrist is in his image, the Holy, run. Flee to the mountains. But what mountains? Well, Daniel chapter 11, verse 40, is talking about this very thing. At the time of the end, the king of the south shall attack him. Now, the, him is what we know as the Antichrist. And the king of the north shall come against him like a whirlwind, with chariots, horsemen, and with many ships. And he shall, the Antichrist, shall enter the, uh, the countries, overwhelm them, and pass through. Verse 41, he shall also enter the glorious land, that's Israel. And many countries shall be overthrown by him. But these shall escape from his hand, Edom, Moab, and the prominent people of Ammon. Folks, that is modern-day Jordan. Modern-day Jordan, Isaiah 16, starting with verse 1. We read, Send the lamb to the ruler of the land from Selah, keep that in mind, from Selah to the wilderness, to the mount of the daughter of Zion, for it shall be as a wandering bird thrown out of, its, out of the nest. So shall be the daughters of Moab at the fords of Arnon, Take counsel, execute judgment, make your shadow like the night in the middle of the day. Hide the outcasts. Do not betray him who escapes. Now he's talking to the people of Moab. Okay? Protect the outcasts. But this is what I believe is the Jews are fleeing. And they're fleeing down to this area. Because God said that this area, verse 4, Let my outcast dwell with you, O Moab. Be a shelter to them from the face of the spoiler, a reference to the Antichrist, for the executioner is at hand. Uh, devastation ceases. The oppressors are consumed out of the land. And the idea is that God has set aside this area to the southeast of the Jordan River, excuse me, of the Dead Sea. Uh, modern Jordan, but Edom, Moab, Ammon. In fact, the capital of Jordan is Amman, okay? Uh, because that's where it is, all right? And, um, but many scholars and, and commentators believe this place in the wilderness, the mountains that Jesus said the Jews were to flee to, uh, those in Jerusalem, to escape the murderous rage of the Antichrist, uh, is the rock city of Petra, southeast of the Dead Sea. And we see here in these passages, and there's other passages where God basically says uh, that when my people take refuge down there, protect them, don't cast them out. And God was going to give supernatural protection. The Antichrist is not going to be able to reach them. We'll see that more in Revelation. But um, many believe, including myself, that what's in view here, these mountains, uh, is really a reference to the rock city of Petra. 
In fact, in chapter Isaiah 16, verse 1, send the lamb to the ruler of the land from Selah to the wilderness. Selah means rock or Petra. All right? Petra is truly an amazing city, made popular by that third Indiana Jones movie. Uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. You remember that if you like, if you ever saw that movie, you understand the end. You see him riding through this canyon, right? That's the only way to get to Petra. There's only one entrance, and it's through a, a canyon that at one point narrows down to between eight and ten feet. That's why the people that lived there, it was impregnable. Because armies had to squeeze through this tiny um, you know, actually we would think of it as a canyon, okay. Um, and people would be on top looking down, pouring boiling oil on them. And so it was really rough. And what they had done was they built a city. Now, that, that in that movie where they finally came through the canyon and you saw it open up, uh, that's Petra. But it, what they didn't show you is that all around that area, uh, there was at, uh, at one time, I think, 250,000 people that lived in this city. And they bore into the rock uh, caves. And they lived in these caves. There's caves everywhere. Man-made caves where people used to live, okay? Um, but Petra is located in Moab, uh, which is present-day Jordan. And again, this city of stone carved out and into uh, a mountain has stood for centuries, as we said, because it's not easy to get to. Um, you say, but do the Jews know of these prophecies? We just read Isaiah chapter 16. Some would say, well, do the Jews know of these prophecies to take refuge in Petra? Do they take these prophecies seriously? Let me tell you this real close. Or a Jordanian guide. Because you have to have Jordanian. If you're going to go to Petra, you can't have a Jewish guide. They mandate. You've you got to use their guys because they're looking to make money. Okay, So you've got to have a Jordanian guide. A Jordanian guide, this is going back a few years, told one of our Calvary pastors who was down there in Petra with his group that from January through June of each year, listen, a thousand Jews a day come to Petra to see the city. A thousand Jews a day. It could be that God has already revealed to many of the Jewish people that Petra is going to be the place where they're going to take refuge during what the Bible calls in the old, our Old Testament, their scriptures, their Tanakh, our Old Testament. Um, this is going to be a place where they're going to take refuge during the times of Jacob's trouble. That comes out of Jeremiah 30, verse 7. Alas, for the day is great. This is talking about the day of judgment, the Antichrist's fury against the Jewish people. For the day is great so that none is like it. And it is the time of Jacob's trouble. But he, Israel, shall be saved out of it. And we're going to see how that God will not let the Antichrist reach his reach into this area to capture these Jews. They're going to take refuge in Petra. Now, Christian businessmen <laughs> have stocked this place. They've gone into Petra and they have stocked the caves, loaded them with food, evangelistic tracts and New Testaments written in Hebrew, all in preparation for the Jews to come down and find food, find gospel tracts, 
New Testament, all written in Hebrew, so that they could read these things and hopefully get saved. God has prepared this place as a refuge for his people. Israel It's all ready to go. And that day is, I think, getting close. So we will leave it there, and we will pick it up, God willing, next week as we continue on in chapter 12. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your great grace. And we thank you, Lord, that we as your people living in the new covenant, um, you have revealed to us what's coming. And even though I, I, I don't believe the church is going through the tribulation period, I believe we're going to be evacuated before the Antichrist really makes his appearance on the world scene. We've talked about that. But Lord, thank you that you have told us what's coming, even though it won't really affect us directly. But Lord, thank you that you don't leave your people in darkness and that when the tribulation begins, I think Revelation is going to be a very sought-after book because now it's, wow, people are going to read it, study it, to know what's happening from day to day, what's going to happen. And so, Lord, we just pray for all of our loved ones. God forbid, Lord, that they should enter the tribulation period, that they should not receive you right now. We pray they will, that they might escape the wrath to come. But, Lord, we pray that, Lord, you would touch these people during the tribulation period. And we want to pray a special prayer for, for the Jewish people, that, Lord, they, they would get saved. And uh, even though they will probably be martyred for their faith, they will enter into a glorious eternity with us and an inheritance that will never fade away, reserved in heaven for them who are kept by the power of faith. We thank you, Lord. We ask you to keep blessing these studies in your word. We ask all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.